Good evening. Um, tonight we have two readings, um, and the first is from uh, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief Enoch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to understand the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Sadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who were of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. The second reading is from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you very much, Laura, and thank you, Will. Now listen to these words from Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Let's pray. Our Father, please teach us over these coming weeks what it means to live distinctively as Christians. We pray too that our motivation in doing so will be firmly grounded in the fact that the Lord reigns. For Jesus' sake. Amen. The letter of 1 Peter describes who we are as Christians. You are, if you're a Christian sitting here, a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Where is our home? As citizens of the kingdom of God, our home is the new creation. It is the world to come. In the Bible, the new creation is referred to as Jerusalem. Revelation 21, John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. As citizens of the kingdom of God, our home is the new creation. It is Jerusalem. Our citizenship is secure, but we are not at home. Where are we living now? Far from home, in this world, in a fallen world that has rejected God, a world referred to throughout the Bible as Babylon. We could say that the Bible is a tale of two cities, Babylon, the kingdom of this world, and Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. What is our status as Christians living in this world, living in Babylon? We are citizens of the kingdom of God, but as such, exiles in this world, exiles in Babylon. Peter writes at the start of his letter to those who are elect exiles, elect citizens of the kingdom of God of Jerusalem, exiles living in the world in Babylon. How are we to live? Beloved, Peter writes, I urge you as exiles to live good lives in and among the world. And so as Christians, we live as exiles in the world. We live far from home. We are different. We have a different allegiance, a different life, a different set of priorities. How are we to live? 
distinctively in the world. We are not to withdraw. We are not to compromise. We are not to be afraid. We are to shine like stars in a dark world. That reference is from the very end of the book of Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And as we shine like stars living distinctively in the world, we will turn many to righteousness like the stars shed light and punctuate the black sky forever and ever and ever. On Sunday nights up until Christmas, we're going to be looking at the book of Daniel, chapters 1 to 6. The next term, we'll return to 7 to 12. The book of Daniel will make us wise as to how we are to live distinctively in the world. It is a book for our time. Whether we are living in East Asia or Edinburgh, Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. The book of Daniel describes the experience of God's people living in exile in Babylon in the 6th century BC. The exile was a big event in the history of God's people. After many generations of compromise and disobedience, God put his people into exile in Babylon. Now, the events of Daniel 1 that were read are precisely dated, 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, at that time the superpower of the ancient world, besieged and conquered Jerusalem. The first group of exiles, including Daniel and his friends, were taken into exile in Babylon. And then a few years later, in 597 BC, there was a second wave. At that time, the exiles included the prophet Ezekiel. And finally, the mass deportation in 586 BC, when the city of Jerusalem and the temple were burned to the ground. Why did God allow this to happen? Well, to refine, to render his people distinctive again. Hard times, hard contexts, hard places for the people of God are often times of refining. Here's 1 Peter again. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In Daniel 1, the focus is on Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They are young, probably in their late teens. The spotlight is on them. When we get to chapter 3, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refuse to bow down to that massive 90-feet gold statue or idol that Nebuchadnezzar sets up, they are in midlife successful in their careers. And in chapter 6, 
the events that surround Daniel and the lion's den, right at the end of the exile, Daniel is an older man of 80 in a position of great influence. And so the book of Daniel is relevant to every generation and constituency, to young people, to middle-aged people, to older people, and how wise and how helpful that is, for it is important to start well, to resolve when you are young to live distinctively for God. But it is just as important to keep on in midlife, perhaps to recover lost resolve or zeal. And it is so vital to finish well. Eric Little, the flying Scot, famous for his victory in the 400 meters at the Paris Olympics in 1924, after withdrawing from the 100 his selected event because the heats were on a Sunday, said this in an interview. Asked to reflect on the secret of his success, he compared the 400 meters to the life of faith. He said this, when the gun goes, I run hard, holding nothing back. On the back straight and into the final bend, I press on. And on the final straight, when the finishing line is in view, I keep my focus on the line, looking neither to the left nor to the right until I break the tape. The book of Daniel. When the gun goes, I run hard, holding nothing back. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah as young men. On the back straight and into the final bend, I press on. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, chapter 3 in midlife. And on the final straight, when the finishing line is in view, I keep my focus on the line, looking neither to the left nor to the right until I break the tape. Daniel, chapter 6, as an older man. Chapter 1, the spotlight is on Daniel and his friends as young people. Many of you here tonight are young people. The majority of you here tonight are the age or close to the age of Daniel and his three friends in chapter 1. Many of you are starting out in adult life, university, work, or school. And this chapter in the Bible has a very direct application to you. So I want to encourage you and indeed exhort you to let the experience and decisions of these young people your age impact you. And as a whole church family, we have a responsibility, one that we take seriously and gladly, to pray for you as a generation, to teach you the Bible, the Word of God, to mentor you, to encourage you, We want you to know that, that we love you and covet you for the Lord. And we'll do our best to teach you the truth. And there is also here a clear application to parents of children in our church family. And those in the church who teach and disciple them, this is what we are preparing our children for, that they be like Daniel and his friends as they enter adult life, 
This is what we nurture them for, to live distinctively as Christians in the world. We cannot convert them. That is by God's grace, but God calls us as parents in partnership with a local church to teach, to instruct, to prepare our children to live distinctively as Christians in the world. And we need to think and talk and pray as a church that we might do this wisely. As you need to do in East Asia, and as we need increasingly to do here. And as parents of children, of young people seeking to navigate the complexities of the world in which we live, we want you also to know that as a church family, we love you. We pray for you and your children. It is our privilege to partner with you in teaching them the Word of God. Nebuchadnezzar's tactics are astute. Why focus on this generation first? Take the brightest and best of the young future leaders of God's people, put God out of their minds, and the impact will be far-reaching. That is a good tactic. How would he do it? Take them to Babylon and change them. What is it like to live in Babylon? Whether we are in East Asia or Edinburgh, we need to work hard and not be slack and not passive to understand the culture, to understand the worldviews, the pressures. What did Daniel and his friends experience as they were taken from Jerusalem and enrolled in King's College in Babylon? King's College Babylon was the Ivy League of the ancient world. It was just that, top of the university league tables, the center of learning, achievement, and culture in the ancient worlds. Daniel and his friends would have been led into Babylon through the Ishtar Gate, the most magnificent entrance to a city in the ancient world. 30 meters high, built with azure facing, shining bright blue in the sun. The walls bedecked with motifs of lions and bulls, a magnificent site, a magnificent city, a magnificent university, and it was. But sitting in the lecture theaters in King's College, Babylon, they are exposed to the language and literature of the Babylonians, a different worldview, a different way of thinking, a different way of living, a different morality. Whatever isms they faced, and isms aren't a new thing, it would challenge their faith as it does ours, whether it is secularism or materialism or rationalism or pluralism, polytheism, postmodernism. They are not new. They are not new. Much of what they experience we do, and much of what we experience they did. Let me encourage us as Christians, all of us, to work hard to understand the culture. There was a ruthlessness Daniel and his friends faced that we don't. But there are Christians in many parts of the world today 
they'd live in as hostile an environment as they did. Taken into Babylon, their names were changed. You will no longer be known as a child of God. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had new names put on them. The word means put on them. It is a word of force, of imposition, of the absence of choice. Their new names, Belteshazzar, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What's in a name? The Hebrew names all contain the name of God. The Babylonian names all contained the name of a Babylonian God. Nebuchadnezzar put God out of their names, symbolic of his desire to put God out of their lives. And there are many places in our world today where the state seeks to impose its identity on people, often with force. One of the things we will know as we study the book of Daniel is the significance of the names. All through the book, it is their Hebrew names that keep being repeated. I don't know why, but we tend to describe the four of them in this way. It's what I would have said. Who are the four of them? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The text never describes them like that. It's always Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their identity always is God's people. Take Daniel. That's how the names are described in the book. Let me just read a few references. Daniel 2.26. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar. Daniel 4.8. This is Nebuchadnezzar. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar. Daniel 4.19. Then Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. 5.12. Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. And Daniel 10.1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. You see the point. Daniel's identity never changed. He remained Daniel. He knew who he was. And he lived distinctively in Babylon. And people came to see who he was. Daniel. I wonder if you know what the name Daniel means. It means God is my judge. Daniel never forgot his name. He never forgot what his name meant. And he lived up to his name, God is my judge. Their location was changed. Their language was changed. Their names were changed. Even their diet was changed. We'll come back to that. What did they make of it all? How would they live? How are we to live? Daniel and his friends show us how. Just look at verse 6. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Among these. The group taken into exile was a sizable group, yet it's Daniel and his friends who stood out, who lived for God. Many others didn't. And I think it's absolutely right to say that in our time, in the Western world, this kind of division is happening. Among them, there were Daniels, Hananias, Mishael, and Azariahs. How do they live? How are we to live? You see on the sheet, number one, do not withdraw. 
Now, you might say that Daniel had no choice. He could not withdraw even if he wanted to. But it's clear from what follows that Daniel did not lack the moral courage to say no. His decision not to take the royal food and wine could have cost him his life, but he didn't say no to his place in King's College in Babylon. He didn't say no to learning the language and literature of the Babylonians, to being called Belteshazzar by the Babylonians, and in time entering into Nebuchadnezzar's civil service and furthering the interests of Babylon. He took up his place at King's College and was a grade-A student. Listen again to 1 Peter. Beloved, I urge you, as exiles, keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles. Our calling as Christians is to live distinctively in the world, not to withdraw from the world. So young people, listen to God's word, not me. Take up your place at King's College. Take up your place in the fast stream afterwards. Take up the offer of the graduate recruitment scheme. Pursue a career in public life, in politics. Join a football team. Sing in a choir. Make friendships with people who aren't Christians. Invest in these friendships. Do not withdraw from the world. Now, what might withdrawal from the world look like for a Christian? Well, for some Christians, it is total withdrawal from the world to a monastic life. For others, and more likely relevant to us, it is to live either consciously or subconsciously in a Christian bubble. Church life becomes our only life. All our friends are Christians. Why might we withdraw? Think of what we watched. Why might we withdraw? Because it is easier. Because it is hard to live distinctively in the world and it's getting harder. It might be a decision to withdraw. More likely, it happens gradually over time until we find ourselves isolated from the world. The result? We have no witness in the world. Let me say to those of us who are older, who perhaps have slipped into this state of withdrawal, let me encourage us to step back into the world, to be creative, to step back in distinctively. Do not withdraw a second. Do not compromise. So too, you young people, take up your place in university. Take that graduate recruitment scheme Pursue a career in public life, in the arts, in music, in drama, whatever. Further the interests of the city. Set up your own plumbing business. Become a professional footballer. I still would like to be. Join a soccer team. 
Join the Frisbee team. Invest in these friendships with people who are not Christians. Share a flat with them. But do not compromise. Verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Why did Daniel say no to this? After all, he had said yes to lots of things. He said no to this because it went against the law of his God, the word of God. Maybe it had been ritually sacrificed to idols. Maybe because the food was not kosher, taking it would be against Jewish food laws. Whatever it was, this was something that went against the word of God and was a line he wouldn't cross. Do not do anything that the word of God says you are not to do. And I speak to myself as much as to you. Now we learn what these things are when we study the Bible together in our small groups. That's why we do that. Here are some of the examples of things we just should not do. Drunkenness, sexual immorality, idolatry, cheating, lying, irreverent speech, denial, or silence about being a Christian. Where the word of God is clear, do not compromise. There are clear lines in the Bible. And then there are matters in the realm of conscience. Christians committed to the Bible as the word of God will have different views. For example, on drinking, the Bible does not say that we shouldn't drink, but some Christians as a matter of conscience will not or because of the situation they are in. That is a line that they choose to be distinctive. Or Sundays, Christians have different views. What Eric Little did, not running on a Sunday, was for him a matter of conscience. He drew that line. When we find ourselves in a situation and our conscience as Christians is saying that we should not do something even though it is not prescribed absolutely from the Bible, then we are wise to listen to our conscience. And let that be a means of expressing our Christian distinctiveness. If we withdraw, we will have no witness in the world. We will have a song called the gospel that we will sing in church with gusto on a Sunday, but no one in the world will hear our song. If we compromise, we will live in the world and we will have a song to sing, but it will not be the song that is the gospel. Now pause and consider the words at the beginning of verse 8, but Daniel resolved. Resolved is to make a decision, literally to put it on our hearts, a decision that translates into action. Who of us tonight are needing to so resolve that we will not. Are we flirting with compromise? Are we up to our neck in it? Will we resolve tonight to put it right, to obey God's word, and to open up a lifetime 
of usefulness to God. And for those of us who are older, with more of our life behind us than ahead of us, it is never too late to step back into the world distinctively. It is never too late to resolve to draw a line on stuff we know that is wrong. Don't withdraw, don't compromise. Third, and this heading is not in the sheet, be Christ-like. What I'm getting at here is Daniel does not fight every battle. He is no crusader. He is wise. He is irenic. He is measured. He is considered. As one writer puts it, there is nothing worse than a Christian who's always shouting and spoiling for an argument. And notice too Daniel's manner. He asked Ashpenaz for permission not to defile himself. Ashpenaz was already predisposed toward Daniel. And Daniel is shrewd. When the chief official refused his request, he asked the guard to test them. And so we are building a picture of what it looks like to live distinctively in the world. Do not withdraw. Do not compromise. But be gracious, wise, winsome, irenic, and fourth, do not be afraid. And do not be afraid is not ever said lightly. At a human level, Daniel must have been afraid. It was dangerous what he was asked to do. It is never without risk and cost to live distinctively as Christians in the world, whether we are in East Asia or in Edinburgh. But Daniel trusted in his God more than he feared Nebuchadnezzar. Or we can express it another way. Daniel feared God more than he feared Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel daily remembered his name. God is my judge. Among their generation, they stood out. Don't withdraw, don't compromise, be like Christ. Do not be afraid. And in the life of a local church, as we study the Bible together, as we pray for and support one another, we work out what this looks like. We talk about it at CCY, at student lunch, in your small group. We pray for one another, encourage one another, hold one another accountable. You cannot do this alone. Now, as we come to a conclusion, was Daniel right? in the choices he made. It did not look like or feel like the Lord reigned in Babylon. It did not look like or feel like the Lord reigned in Babylon when you walked through the Ishtar Gate. It did not look like or feel like the Lord reigned in Babylon when Jerusalem was in flames. 
It looked like and felt like the power was with Nebuchadnezzar, the world. And what about today? It no more looks like or feels like the Lord reigns. But the fact is, he does. And if the book of Daniel sounds one note, one strident chord, every week, every chapter, often every verse, it is that the Lord reigns, the Lord is king. We see it in every chapter. Just look with me, beginning of the book in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That is historical data, 605 BC. And note the words right at the beginning of the exile, verse 2, the Lord gave. The Lord gave. God is sovereign over the exile, not Nebuchadnezzar. Where is Babylon today, as we'll see next week? Under sand. Where is the Ishtar Gate, reconstructed brick by brick in Berlin? The Lord gave the vessels from the temple given by God. God gave the vessels, the articles from the temple. Nebuchadnezzar put them in the treasury of his God to symbolize that he had conquered God's people. But the truth is, these vessels from the temple symbolize God's presence in Babylon. And in the same way as God's people living distinctively as God's witnesses in Babylon, verse 9, God gave Daniel, God gave Daniel favor. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, not because of their diet in spite of it. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them. Verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, they were 10 times better. God gave. God gave. The Lord reigns. The Lord is at work. It doesn't look like it or feel like it, but the Lord reigns in Babylon. The Lord reigns in East Asia. The Lord reigns in Scotland tonight. The Lord reigns in Edinburgh tonight. The Lord reigns in every university, every school in this city, every street in this city, every office in this city. He does not look like it or feel like it, but he does. And all the time, God is quietly advancing his kingdom in Babylon, in the world. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to put God out of their lives. He wanted to put God out of the lives of Daniel and his friends, the next generation. The devil wants to put God out of your lives. He does. But they lived in their day, distinctively in Babylon. They did not withdraw. They did not compromise. They were grace-filled, irenic, wise, savvy. They were not afraid, and they kept their witness. And instead of Nebuchadnezzar putting God out of their lives, God put them and used them at the heart of the public and political life in Babylon. The Lord reigned then. The Lord reigns still. And so how will we live among their generation where Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they show us what it looks like to live distinctively. Do not withdraw. Do not compromise. Be like Christ. Do not be afraid. And may God, by his grace, enable us so to live.
in our time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this powerful and strong and encouraging book. We pray that you would help us over these coming months to live distinctively, show us what it is like, help us to encourage one another to that end, and help us to do so because the Lord reigns. And Lord, if there are any among us who need to resolve tonight to step back into the world, perhaps, to resolve to draw a line because we have been flirting with what is compromise or worse, or because we have lost grace and wisdom and find ourselves fighting every battle, or because we fear the world more than we fear God. Help us, Lord, as we sing, to make these resolutions in our minds, in our hearts, and lean on the God who reigns. For that is the wise way to live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.